You're very welcome back to the second episode of the League of Ireland podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. And I'm joined this week for a co-host by Longford Town Captain Dean Zambra. Dean, you're very welcome to the co-hosting duties here on the Final Whistle. Yeah, thanks for having me and asking me to, to co-host with you. Absolutely. We're trying to get a nice spread of the geography of everything. So last week, Alan Keane joined us. He'll be back with us later in the season, as will you. We're going to kind of have a, a panel of co-hosts that work with us here on the site through the year. In terms of, I suppose, your own role, captain of Longford, you've been there maybe five seasons now. You're going into your sixth season with Longford. Um, it's Premier Division football, which has been a bit of a rarity for Longford in the last couple of years. Glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when I joined the club, that was the ambition. Took probably a couple of seasons longer than uh, anticipated. You know, we felt we had a strong um, a strong team to get up any of those seasons, but we eventually did it last year. And uh, it's the top division in, in the country, so it's obviously where, you know, all the best players are and wh- where we want to play. And uh, we're looking forward to getting going now in a couple of weeks' time. You did do it the hard way, though, because you were in contention maybe when when the lockdown happened and the first couple of games, you looked like you might be in a title challenge. That didn't really materialise. Drogheda and Bray kind of ran away with it. And then people kind of expected Bray to win out in the playoffs, but you didn't see that script. You had your own kind of plan, and and you you really caused a couple of upsets to get to that spot and that promotion. Uh, What was it like being in the the squad at that time? Yeah, it was obviously brilliant for us at, at the time, and uh, like you said, a couple of people that would have wrote us off and, you know, we weren't the favourites for, for a number of those games. Uh, probably rightly so, just because we had been inconsistent throughout the year. But I think we always believed in our own group. Um, the coach staff believed in us and we kind of really knuckled down and focused uh, for those particular games. And I think that showed in our performances because we were really good in the three games. And it was probably the first time all year where we strung together you know, good performances and good results in in back-to-back-to-back kind of games. And at that particular time, we had to do it because it's obviously, you know, a winner-out situation in the playoffs. So we were delighted to do that and uh, delighted to kind of get through the playoffs uh, and get to the Premier Division. Like I said, uh, we've done it the hard way, but it wouldn't be like us if we didn't. Yeah, and I suppose people kind of expected you maybe to to get that promotion in 2018, 2019 when Neil Fenn was there and you came close in both of those seasons. Uh, Neil left towards the end of, of 2019 and went to Cork. It didn't quite work out for him down there over maybe the six or eight or, or, or ten months he was in the job. Uh, Dara's come in. What has been the, the big influence and what's been the difference between maybe almost getting there and getting across that line last season? Um, like I said, I think the the real focus on the specific games that were coming up that we, we had to implement in the playoffs, I think that was the real difference. Um, Dara kind of continued Neil's philosophy in many respects, like in terms of how we played and the type of player he wanted and, and how he wanted us to be. I think um, Dara maybe insisted we were a little bit more practical at times, you know, as you have to be. And that stood us in good stead. And then obviously Johnny Martin came in to help Dara out as assistant and and Johnny was able to give his experience towards, you know, obviously playing for Longford and being part of that very successful Longford side uh, under Stephen Kenny. So uh, his experience was invaluable then in adding something just a little bit different, a, a, another voice and another bit of experience uh, to the group. And we are obviously delighted then uh, that we were able to we were able to achieve what we had set out to achieve um, by winning the playoffs. 
I suppose there's two schools of thought when you get promoted. One is you keep faith with the players who got you up. Another is to bring in a whole new team on top of that. I think, to be fair, Longford have pretty much gone with the first mentality on that in terms of keeping a, a core of those team or those players that got promoted last season. There have been a couple of new arrivals. I know Mick Kelly is back in, in Nets. Uh, he's come in as a, th- a third goalkeeper in the squad, um, which seems a bit top heavy but that's another story in terms of Aaron Bulger also coming in um Aaron Aaron Dobbs is back in the fold Paddy Kirk has come in do you think that's enough to maybe push Longford up to where they can survive in this division next season yeah well obviously it remains to be seen whether whether recruiting pans out but I'm sure Dara very much believes in the lads he's brought in and believves in the lads he's kept and um, there's also you know a reality of Longford would probably be the smallest club in the league smallest budget um, I don't think Dara had the luxury of going out and saying I'm going to get five, six, seven top Premier Division players and bring them in. Like he has to contend with, contend with a budget. And you know, at this moment in time, we don't have fans in the stadium, so Longford Town have to be practical from a business point of view in terms of what they're they're able to spend on, on players. Like some other clubs have been up in the Premier Division have had the benefit of Premier Division finances for a number of years, so maybe they're able to spend a little bit more. So. I think Dara has uh, given faith in the lads that got him got him there. He's added a couple to compete for places. And I think across the board, we've got a very strong squad and a lot of depth. And it's just up to us and up to the players to, to produce and perform on the pitch. How's pre-season gone so far? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, um, the idea behind pre-season is to get fitness, to get sharpness, get minutes under the belt. Um, you know, don't look into results too much, really. You never do um, pre-season. Obviously, a couple of games that we were leading towards the end and ended up, you know, not winning out that we'd be a little bit disappointed with. But uh, overall, you know, pretty good. Uh, I think we look fit, we look sharp. I think we've looked decent in the games and uh, we're just keeping building really and just need to keep adding to the minutes for that first game against Derry. I suppose the first weekend just gone, if you look back at the game with Galway, it's a very unique situation to be seeing. Um, a first division team versus second division, uh, first division team versus second tier team, um, so to speak, and you, but with the full time team being the the lower ranked team, uh, that's very unique in in the League of Ireland. Normally, you'd expect that to be the other way around. Um, Galway did win the game. Do you put that down to being full time, or or is it down to maybe just mixing and matching players through the ninety minutes? Yeah, I think like you know, Dyer's still looking for you know probably the exact starting 11 he, he wants to go with on the first game. He's trying a couple of lads out in different positions, trying a couple of formations or a couple of different emphasis throughout the game tactically. So, yeah, don't read into it too much. I, I thought we were the stronger side over the course of the game. Um, probably a couple of goals that we feel were sloppy and, and should have done a little bit better on and um, certainly created a number of chances uh, still that we could have won the game. So, yeah, I don't think too uh, too much emphasis on the fact that that Galway are a, are a full time side, but you know obviously for their sake throughout the season that would be a major benefit for them because I think you see you see the difference in that throughout the course of the season more so than kind of on an individual night or an individual game basis. You did probably score the goal of the game though, and uh, from a Longford Town point of view, uh, Dean Byrne late in the game, ten minutes to go, bit of a consolation, but nonetheless a fairly impressive strike. Can we get a look at it? Do you want to take a look at it again? Yeah. Verdon, he is on side, Verdon. He's got Carl Chambers behind him. He's got Callum Thompson behind him, but he wants to go forward. It's a good ball to Dean Byrne. Can Byrne bring it under his control? He can. And that's a fantastic finish from Dean Byrne. Brilliant ball from Sam Verdon. And it's Dean Byrne that applies the finish. It's game on here at Bishop's Gate. Longford Town. 
Now, it didn't quite materialize as a game on, but uh, two won the final score in the game at home in Longford. But Dean Byrne, let's talk about him for a moment, because I know we, we spoke on a different platform last year about Dean, and he broke his leg early on against Shamrock Rovers, ended up not missing that many games, from a, which Longford would be very thankful for. But he came up in that strike against UCD in the last minute to, to kind of send everyone into raptures and put you into that playoff uh, final against Galway. You must be delighted to have a player his caliber still at the club. And how much of an impact is he going to make on that Premier Division this year? Yeah, I think you're seeing from the goal, like the, he just has that little bit of magic, being able to bring a ball down in tight space, shift around a defender. Um, maybe got a little bit of luck on that one, but I think he deserved it just because of the, the quick thinking and the quick feet and then slotted the finish. And even uh, going back to the UCD goal, absolutely magnificent goal. And Dean has that ability, like that's game changing ability, that's game winning ability, like and they're the type of players we need um in the season. Like, you know, we might have a couple of difficult games where we only get a couple of chances or a couple of difficult situations like that where we need someone like Dean to be able to, you know, pull a ball down, beat a couple of players and slot it in like for us for us to get a result. So I think Dean's gonna be a huge player for us. Great, great ability. Like he does things like that in training every single week. So you know, that's not out of the blue and it's not one-off kind of things you're seeing there. The, he does this all the time and we just want to be able to get the best out of Dean, whether that's, you know, creating a role for him within the team or whether he comes on as an impact player, whatever we can do to get Dean to give us a boost. Uh, I know Daryl will definitely be looking to do it because we all know the quality and the ability that he has. And of course, you're obviously trying to win the alphabetical award for the league this year. You've got, I think, six Aaron's in the squad um did somebody buy like a, a job lot set of jerseys with the names already printed on them what's the the thinking behind having so many different players with the one name that's going to get confusing surely yeah i wonder is it like an age thing or when these players are born was that a, a popular name or something like that you know within those within those age groups yeah it's 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 strange like you often you, you often get a couple maybe two possibly three names but to have six is uh is a lot like you know so we're trying to come up with couple of different nicknames and a couple of different uh, ways to call these players like so it's not constantly showing Aaron across you know the training pitch or, or the match day situation like so uh, we're trying to come up with a couple of solutions there have you put them all on the same team for like five and six aside games in training I, I don't think that's actually happened yet but it's definitely a, it's an idea for John Martin there when he's when he's planning out his training sessions put them all together like yeah, you can have that one for free, John. No problems. Um, let's have a look maybe around the grounds. Obviously, you're with us for the day. and um, We might go and have a chat with one of our guests right now, and then we'll come back and maybe take a look at some of the, the friendly games that took place over the weekend, the pre-seasons, uh, before we uh, we finish up the show. Now we're going to turn our attention towards Bally Buffet. And, of course, Finn Harps need no introduction to any fan of the league. But one person who joined the Ollie's Army in the middle of last season, just after covid was Stephen Foley, who came home from Australia to play with Finn Harps and keep them up, or to help keep them up, uh, is a team effort, definitely. Uh, in the last half of the season, yes, last season, it uh, was Stephen Foley, and he joins us now. Stephen, you're very welcome to the programme. Uh, how's it going, guys? Well, I'm great. How's it all uh, with you? Are you in Bally Buffet? Are you at home? Where's home for you? I'm actually at home here in Galway, so... Um... Yeah, no Bally Buffet for me this weekend, but I'll be up there this week. Most yeah, it is, but you get used to it. And to be fair to the club, um, they really look after you in terms of like putting you up. So 
Um, I might only have to do the commute once a week and I might stay up there and then come down after the game at the weekend. So, yeah, no, it's 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 ideal for me and my situation that I'm in at the minute. Let's talk a bit about that situation because you came home from Australia last year. COVID hit, the league was cancelled. You were in a bit of limbo and Finn Harps gave you an opportunity to kind of come back and play in the league. Um, was it a tough decision to make? No, no, Jesus, it wasn't because... Obviously, the two years previous to that at Dundalk, like I didn't really kick a ball and I moved to Australia thinking, you know, like an opportunity here for me to go play in another league and probably under different styles of play because obviously there's a lot of um, Eastern European managers over there and my manager at the time, and he's still the manager there, was an Argentinian who was um, at Atletico uh, Madrid for 10 years in the B team. So um, that was kind of like the draw of that league. It was kind of, I knew you would get like a kind of European football feel to it and just wanted to go and experience that. And I think my attitude kind of was, was I played in the league for so long, obviously wasn't good enough to go back to England. So the opportunity to go probably elsewhere, um, you know, appealed to me. And especially after not playing for two years, at Dundalk, um, the opportunity to go play football in another country was was um, a no-brainer. And as, as well, from a lifestyle thing and a job opportunity, um, even for my wife, it was just something that we felt like we couldn't turn down. And it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. But, you know, it was still a fantastic experience. And then, obviously, when I was coming home and Ali got wind, he rang me and, yeah, he just agreed a deal pretty much there and then. There was no back and forth. Made me an offer and drove down. I think they were playing uh, one of the Northern Irish teams and basically the, they were playing Belfast. And then they he drove down to Galway and just got the deal done there and then. And that was it. And you know, I haven't looked back since. Yeah, Stephen, just want to touch on Ollie there. You mentioned him. He's obviously kind of well-known as probably the face of Finn Harps across yeah. the league, really. I only actually know him as an opposition manager, so I only see yeah. the kind of shouting and screaming or the yeah. ana- uh, you know animation on the sideline. But what, what's he actually like? You know, what's he like personally? What's he like? He uh, is since? polar opposite um, yeah. than on a match day or against yeah. an opposition. Like, I always thought Ollie, you know, was like... Oh, shouting and yada yada, but complete opposite in training. Like one of the best, if not the best, man manager I've ever played under. Um, very positive towards the group, and I know he, he interviews. Um, you know, like he has some classic one-liners and stuff and whatnot. But he's actually really, really positive, and on the training field, he gets his ideas across quickly. Um. He's got like a mixture of different styles of management. Um, you know, like he puts things out to the group. He puts his foot down. You know, he he's every, every player needs something different, and I yeah. think he knows that and he understands it, and he treats everyone accordingly. In terms of I suppose the the locations of the clubs you've been at, we mentioned Melbourne, of course. That's the the Great Ocean Road here in yeah. Ireland. In Cork, Limerick, Galway, Sligo, now Finn Harps. Uh, yeah a bit of a fascination with the wild Atlantic way perhaps is it something about coastal regions you just are you still for at heart what's the situation I, I honestly don't know I think it's just happened the way it's happened um, obviously when I came back from England in 20 end of 2012 went into the start of 2013 
Um, I was up at Rovers for a week and Trevor Crowley was the manager there and I was we were in Carton House and I really, really enjoyed it. And obviously when I went away at 15 and that like you don't see the League of Ireland, you don't hear about it, you know, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind and you don't really understand the standard of how good it actually is, you know, and like I, when I was at Newcastle, I had a chance to go to Derry on loan under Decky Devine, I think in 20, I think it was 2011, 2012. Um, and obviously I turned it down at the time because I was trying to go somewhere else in England. But in hindsight, do you know what I mean? That could have been, like I could have had a completely different career if I had taken that opportunity at a younger age because the way I look at it is I wasted two years basically just playing reserve team football when I could have went somewhere and played men's football and I could have been two years further down the road with my development, both physically and mentally, you know, and probably something that I look back at and be like, you know, if I approached things differently when I was that age and maybe had a different mindset, um, things probably would have worked out a little bit different for me along the way. But, um, you know, I look at boys who were my age, like Jeff Hendricks, main example, like by the time I'd, I was 21, I'd say he had maybe 150 games played close to that anyways, and I hadn't played one, you know, so I always say even to like any of the young lads that do be in, in around teams of like, get yourself out on loan and go and play men's football, it doesn't matter where it is, you know, it's just about getting the minutes under your belt, because ultimately that's where you're going to learn, you know, when people have points on the board and playing for mortgages and all these kind of things. And that's when the realities of John like football really hit in and hit home. And I never really understood that when I first came home, like say when I was playing with like your Bradleys, your Gambles and Paddy Purcell and all these older players, like, you know, I didn't understand the mortgages and all that situation, you know, and, you probably just, oh, it's just a game of football, but it's not like, you know, it's more than that. And uh, I think nowadays, I think some kids, especially in the clubs I've been at, are just happy to probably be at a top club and just being at a top club and been around the top club rather than going out, making a name for themselves and going playing games. Who's excited you of the youngsters coming up around the, the Ballygraffet direction at the moment who's what players coming in do you think maybe could break in and and maybe make that name for themselves in Finn Harps this season yeah um it's a bit of a tough one really because um we've got like quite an older team compared to a lot of teams in League of Ireland um if you look like across the back line you have me Webster McElhenney they're all 29 30 31 McGinley another I think he's 30 31 you know, so we've got quite an older team, but there is a couple of young lads, and I don't think it'd really be fair for me to single any one of them out just yet because they're still learning their way and they're still, you know, trying to apply themselves in training. So I wouldn't want to just single anyone out, but there is a good crop of youngsters coming through. And um, I don't know if, you, if you'd followed the Finn Harp social media as recently, there's a lot of young lads who signed deals at the club and, there's a lot to have, got a lot of potential. Um, so yeah, no, so it's, it's definitely interesting times for Finn Harris, especially with some of the youngers coming through. Stephen, you mentioned uh, actually a good mate of mine there, Dave Webster, 
played with mm. him at, at Parade for a long, long time. And uh, obviously Shane McElhaney and yourself, do you think that's pretty much the basis of your strength as a, as a team, like that center, central defensive partnerships, um, the back three, so to speak, and really yeah. like, that's where you're, you're hoping to get most of your successes from the solidity of that back three? Yeah, well, like, see, the thing is, well, we've got um, a young defender called Kos Siddiqui, uh, Kosfer Siddiqui, he's only about 21, 22. Um, he's an absolute specimen, like, he's an animal of a young lad. He's got tons and tons of ability um, physically as well. Um, he's, an, he's an athlete. So, like, we've been quite lucky that even though he's young, um, when he came, when I came into the team, anyways, last year, you know, you, I could see a lot of myself in him when I first came back to Ireland, and I was just trying to talk to him and help him a little bit along the way. And by the end of the season, last three or four games, he probably was one of our best players. Um, not saying that my advice helped him, but I think he's seen a different outlook on things, and um, he's come back in as well on board again this year and you know, we're, we're delighted to have him as well so like Ollie has a bit of a headache I suppose because yeah. you've got us three and Koss and Koss and what you can put whatever combination together really and you know so he definitely has a headache um, first game of the season but like we'd be looking obviously to be um, solid at the back and not give up any chances but I'd like to think if you look at the Finn Harps team on paper it's not of the Finn Harps team that you would have seen four, five, six years ago. Um, you know, there's a lot of players that have been at bigger clubs that mightn't have had the bigger impact at the bigger clubs, but have come together and hopefully we can create a strong group and hopefully push on and bring the club forward. Because as I was saying earlier before the show, like it's a fantastic club and they genuinely look after their players. So, you know, I know we finished um, it was their highest finished in, in a while last year but I suppose I, I would say that there was a couple of games in there that we should have won and we kind of let it slip and if we had won them games we would have finished closer to York than what teams probably thought we would have you know yeah in terms of that team going forward, obviously there's a lot of experience through it, the likes of Tony McNamee, his brother Barry McNamee, Ryan Connolly, all in there as well. Uh, it is an older team, and I suppose up to now the predictions have always been aiming for that playoff spot. There's a kind yeah. of joke that Ollie take the playoff at the start of the season. Yeah. Now that you actually survived there without the playoff last year, um, has the in, are the supposed the predictions or the expectations risen a little bit within the club? The addition of a couple of extra more experienced players has it has it kind of lifted that to maybe aiming for that fifth or sixth or seventh spot rather than a ninth spot? Well, like I suppose the history of the last couple of years, you know, as you were saying, if you were given the playoffs for Tali at the start of the season, would he take it? He would. And if you get off them now again, would he take it? He would. But uh, I suppose. We have to try and win games and change the perception of Finn Harpson and Bally Buffet and, and try and get people on board that, you know, like we're not just in the league just to make up the numbers or just finish in the playoff and be happy with that, you know, like we have to want more both as a team and as a club. Like, so hopefully this season now we can get everything in order and, and try and push up the table. But look, I'm realistic and I suppose everyone else is realistic. Like our budget's nowhere near 
other teams I'm sure that are in and around us so um, I suppose it is a tough one from that regard but I suppose you don't go into any season thinking you know we might get relegated or we might just stay up like we you have to have a little bit more belief and confidence and you know you, I think you can tell when you look around the dressing room and you see what players are beside you you know you know you're in a little bit of a chance so I suppose if, if we can start well and um, stick to what we believe in and, and try and get the points on the board, I'd, I'd say it would be okay. It's kind of mentioned all all around the league, the trip to Bally Buffet is kind of yeah. maybe treacherous or, you know, certain, like uh, around certain clubs, people would, would look at that as a difficult game. Do you, like within the squad, do you just play on that a little bit, kind of say, we're going to make this really difficult, we're going to make this a fortress, we're going to make sure everyone coming here yeah is having a really, really tough time and a really tough game. Is that kind of something that you, you talk about or is it just, you know, you're just trying to win your uh, own games? I think I think so. I think it's just a, a natural thing. As I said, like the clubs I would have played with in the past and whenever we played at Finn Harps and, you know, you'd go up and you have the tiny dress rooms and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, me personally or anything like that, I just take it every game as it comes. And, you know, I, like you need to build your wins especially at home like you need to try and make it a fortress and not be dropping points at home but I actually probably felt we were probably better especially in the back end of the season we were probably better away from home um you know so um it can work both ways really like and I suppose it's a bit of a shame that there's no fans um at the minute you know I think I think that's a big one really um I think if teams were coming to Bally Buffet when there's fans there as well like, and the weather's bad and the pitch is bad like it's probably a little bit better for us but in saying that as well I think also it can be a hindrance to us with the pitch because Joe, we've got a lot of good footballers there now at the club and it's not a coincidence that when we've been playing good football and winning games they've been away from home you know what I mean yeah. Um. so uh, I think it worked both ways but um. I, I understand the mentality from being on the other side with opposing teams of what you think going to Finn Harris, but when I got there and realised like how good the people are and everything and how yeah. accommodating they are, it's like couldn't be further from the truth. Like you talk about the good weather, and I suppose that's a, a polar opposite from where you you came from in terms of Melbourne. Uh, what was that like? Because you have a very unique experience in in this country last year of actually travelling, uh, but obviously. Oh, yeah as a work but talk about that whole situation because I know there was rumours of going to the showground with Sligo Rovers that didn't seem to materialise and then all of a sudden you were just announced as a Harps player um, what was I suppose involved in all of that from your point of view yeah um, I basically had like unfortunately like my wife like she's like I'm very selfish like in terms of football and decision making and and it's only simply because like you don't have a long career and she basically had no choice of us going to Melbourne. Um, like we literally got married on the 28th of December and then four days later I was gone and she was still here. And then she followed me down like a month later. And, um, you know, like, it's been really hard on her because she's had to like up and leave and switch careers and do new jobs. She had the job for a couple of weeks, then she lost it because of the first lockdown in Melbourne. Then she got a new job and then she only had it a day and then I have to tell her, right, look, the season's not happening. I'm not sitting there for six months waiting for another season to start or it could be longer. I go, I have a couple of options to go back home. 
like let's just go home um play football again and then see what happens um so yeah like i actually owe a lot to my wife because she's very accommodating to affirm me whereas a lot of people would be kind of like well no like we're going to stay in melbourne because one the weather blah 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 you know lifestyle even during the lockdown there even though we were away from everyone it was probably a little bit easier because um obviously the weather been one like just where we were living and everything it was just it was amazing such a beautiful place um so yeah like it's traveling during the pandemic was so strange um like getting on the flights and having to wear like the masks the visors had to wear like visors the whole way from um from melbourne to dublin um it was just so strange and then you get to dublin and you hadn't done the where you're going to be living for the next two weeks quarantine or whatever and no one rang you no one checked up on you it was just the biggest shambles ever like just on the Australia uh, experience, Stephen, did you see anything kind of from their league? Like, would they be far ahead of us in terms of infrastructure, training facilities, that kind of thing? Like, well, like just the the club I played at South Melbourne, um, their stadium it was basically in an athletics track, twelve thousand seater, um, unbelievable pitch, um, change rooms, kind of like what Dundalk have in their training ground change rooms like the yeah. Man City ones, the individual uh, cubbies. Um, yeah, no, they were really professional. Um, and like, I was kind of blown away when I first came over there because um, obviously speaking to other players who have played in the league or whatever, and they were telling me that, you know, it was a bit of a pub league and blah, blah, blah. But... I couldn't get over the standard, to be honest. I was kind of blown away that, you know, I was thinking, right, they're going to be fit, but technically they're not going to be great. But there was the polar opposite. They're obviously very fit and they were very, very good technically because you've got a lot of, um, like, Croatian influences and, you know, Bosnian, like, so a lot of technically uh, gifted coaches that are passing on to the, the younger players. And uh, there was a couple of players that played in my team that would get into majority of League of Ireland teams, probably Bar, Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers and maybe Bowes at the minute. But it would have been the only way I could sum it up if you were to take the top two out of the league and all the other teams in the league that I played in, like they could equally um, hold their own, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of, I suppose, where you, you go from here, obviously this season with... with um, Ollie in, in Bali Buffet, what's the, the bigger picture? Obviously, you you mentioned 29, 30 years of age. Have you thought past retirement or have you got another few years in the legs yet? <laughs> no, I'm only 29, yes. Um, I haven't thought about that. Um, I've, I started a college course in GTI um, last September. It's only a year course, but it was just more so just to get myself back into education and trying to think about what I want to do because obviously it's not long now really like 29 it comes around quick and obviously I'd like to play for as long as I'm fit and healthy and as long as someone has me but I'm realistic and know I'm realistic enough to know that when I can't perform to how I would like to perform I know I'd pack it in before someone can tell me to pack it in you know 
obviously this weekend out in action in Athlone Town Stadium. Uh, you talk about good facilities in Melbourne, Athlone on the pitch, the stadium, it's a nice little ground. Hopefully we'll see a few more bodies in it next week. I know we had Adrian Carby on the show last week. Uh, the game, a 3-1 victory for yourselves. Are you happy with the performance? Happy with how the squad is shaping up for the season? Yeah, no, um, it was definitely a positive performance and, you know, we got through it and there was no injuries and, you know, our, our goals that we um, that we um, got um, came from good passages of the play and what we were basically working on the training ground. So it's good to see the stuff that we're working on the training ground come to fruition. And obviously it's disappointing to um, concede the goal the way we did, but... Um, Look, it was good just to get the win and I suppose just for lads' heads and a bit of confidence for them going into our next game against Cork on Saturday, which is another good game for us. Um, I know Colin has them um, playing decent football and had a good win themselves at the weekend. So, no, it was good to get the minutes um, under the legs for boys. And um, as I said, like Ollie's got a headache now picking his 11 coming up to the start of the season. Well, I'm sure uh, Stephen Follin's name will be somewhere in and around that starting 11 come the start of the season. The very best of luck to you for the year ahead. I'm sure uh, we wouldn't disappoint Ollie and aim higher than ninth. It'd be disappointed he missed out on his playoff party at the end of the, the season, but I'm sure the rest of the squad would be quite happy to take seventh or eighth or even further. Uh, we, we'll, ta- we'll take ninth if, if, if we get it. <laughs> Listen, Stephen, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And best right. luck for the year. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers guys. Thanks. Cheers. Well, it's a fairly big gap from the Great Ocean Road in Melbourne back to the Wild Atlantic Way of North Donegal. But someone else who had a very similar experience as yourself, Dane, you obviously, um, we all know Stephanie, your partner, spent a bit of time in Houston, but you were playing in the Texas Premier League as well at that time. What was your experience like? Did you have a similar experience to Stephen? Yeah, I think, that, you know, that's why I kind of threw the question out to Stephen, just to get an idea of, you know, what he's seeing or, or, or the levels. Um for me, you know, I thought the the football levels were quite good where where I played in Texas Premier League. Um, a lot of South Americans, Mexicans, um, kind of populating that league. So, very technical league, fast pace. Um, just what I found was it wasn't quite as professional. Um, I know the owner of the league, and I know a couple of the owners of the clubs. Like they obviously do their best and do the utmost, but they weren't able to kind of get to that next level and uh, people that know the the United States for, for football like it's it's huge dollar investment it's all about kind of financial um, investment to be able to move up the ranks so it's regardless of how good quality your team is so uh, yeah I had a small experience there I played a regular season uh, I wasn't I didn't go back for the playoffs which was which was after Christmas and I ended up signing for Longford over that off season uh, here in Ireland but um, it's interesting to be able to go and experience a different a different league, a different style of play, totally different to to League of Ireland. Like I said, it was a real, real emphasis on technical and 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 speed and quickness, and not a lot of big physical players, and and not a great grasp of tactical and organisational kind of stuff. It was it was more like free for all, and you know, fast pace, fast wingers get the ball forward quick, and like even kind of defenders just bolting out of defence into attacking situations. So, yeah, it was an interesting experience, like I said. Um, for me, it was probably just not at a high enough professional level to kind of continue for, for me. And um, obviously, I, I was asking Stephen a similar question to see kind of how he felt in terms of, like, infrastructure and setup and, and quality and that as well. And and he obviously mentioned, like, something similar that he was impressed with. 
with some aspects of the quality that he experienced over in, in Australia. In terms of where it might fit in, in the grand scheme of things, like uh, people have a fair idea of what um, an average salary would be in the Premier Division here and also the part-timers in the First Division, kind of the ballparks that they'd be earning. Where would the Texas Premier Division have kind of stood in that? Would it have been, because Americans invest in their sport, even at the lower levels, would there yeah. have been a decent salary? Would it have been a viable long-term career move for a player? Or do you have to be in the USL or USL2 to really make a living over there? Yeah, it wouldn't have been um, a career kind of base salary, you know. It would have been um, similar to maybe First Division League of Ireland, which is what I kind of would have compared it to, you know. And um, obviously there's some teams in First Division here that have big budgets and are paying players, you know, good money. But um, no, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a career type of thing. Like, you you know, it would be very much semi, semi-professional. And like I said, they would have needed, I'm not sure the exact dollar figure, but it was a certain you know, a couple of million dollars to, to move up your franchise into USL. So it would be USL minimum, I think, um, if you were going to kind of make a move as a career move. Now, of course, it wasn't just Longford that were playing this weekend. There was a couple of fixtures, uh, pre-season friendlies that were played around the country over the last couple of days. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of those games. We have a few highlights packages. We're going to start in Drogheda. We've got one goal from that game. Uh, Dundalk did win the game 3-2, but it was a free kick from Ronan Murray, former Dundalk player, now playing with Drogheda after a spell in Sligo. Uh, he scored an absolute belt of a free kick. Let's have a look at that. Now it's going to be Murray, in fact, and he has it's a good. goal, and it's in the top yes. corner! Some strike. Uh, do you fancy hitting free kicks like that yourself, Dean? I know you take free sometimes for Longford, but they're normally the ones floated into the box. Uh, how much of skill is required to do what he just did there? Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant skill, brilliant technique. Um, I think he has a little bit of a reputation for free kicks now, like you know, and um, yeah, it's just it takes a huge amount of work, huge amount of practice um, on the training pitch to be able to to pull that out. And uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic goal. Um, I'm sure Tim would uh, like to see it a few more times during the season, like you know. So I hope he hasn't used it up, and in preseason game, but um, yeah, just just a brilliant goal, brilliant technique, and um, like. Like I said, you're you're out on the pitch with a bag of balls, kind of trying to perfect that, um, you know, to be able to produce that quality. Absolutely, he's had a a rough couple of years at, at Sligo. It hasn't really worked out from I know, and um, probably not just performances just didn't stack up. Injury issues it was a bit of a discipline problem where the ball was thrown at a referee. There was suspension involved in that as well, but it just didn't work out. He's back in loud as a Mayo man. He's crossed the country again, but I'm delighted to see him on a personal note hitting the free kick of such quality and maybe we'll see a bit more from him this season and I hope uh, well, from your point of view you'll be hoping not so much because they're one of your yeah. rivals in the division but uh, very delighted for Ronan and, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll be in good form this year for Drogheda uh, let's take a little wander down as far as the RSC and Waterford were in Cork and here's the highlights courtesy of the Rebel Army TV Welcome to a cold but dry RSC for this pre-season friendly between Waterford FC and Cork City. For Cork City, it's a third friendly match ahead of the start of the SSE or Tricity League First Division season. They've lost their previous two against Premier Division sides, St. Pat's and Shamrock Rovers, but there has been some positive performances in those games. Keane Coleman still filling in at centre-back in the absence of uh, Slevin today. Ronan Hurley has moved to left-back after filling in for George Heaven at centre-back against Shamrock Rovers. Cork City on the attack, Kia Murphy probing on the edge of the box here is across. It was aimed towards Murphy, but it will fall to McGlade. 
McGlade gets a shot away, that's a brave block, but McGlade manages to guide it past Matthew Connor. That's a really tidy finish from the 25-year-old Dubliner. Kyle Ferguson, the son of former Rangers player Barry Ferguson, doing his best to uh, put McGlade off, but McGlade finished it nicely. McGlade with the corner. Kean Murphy probing and Kean Murphy scoring via deflection of 80-year-old Kean Kavanagh. Nice finish from Kean Murphy. Scored last week and scores again this week. Granted, he got a bit of luck. Kean Kavanagh, who has featured for Hearts in the past, unlucky that the ball went off him and into the back of the net. Cork City leading two goals to nil. Four minutes into the second half. Alec Byrne wants it. Alec Byrne gets it. We know he can shoot. Byrne tees it up. Oh, that's a wonderful finish. Nothing the keeper could do to stop that. And Alec Byrne, the 21-year-old from Carrigaline, well, he shows his manager what he can do. Scored last year against Finn Harps at the cross just before lockdown. He'll hope to bring this kind of form into the league season when it starts. Great finish. Late in the game, Cork City cruising. Mark McNulty has had to make some saves for City, but uh, scoreboard-wise, they are in control. It's Waterford FC nil, Cork City 3. Pretty good result there for Cork, because I think a lot of people going into that would have expected, again, the Premier Division side to come out on top. Um, what's your thoughts on, on Waterford so far? Because I think Cork kind of fortuitous enough in the first two strikes, but Waterford could be in trouble this year. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think you know until the league game start really how it shakes out. I know they've lost a lot of players, and we've seen some of them sign at sign at other clubs within the league. But um, they've always been able to bring in players too. They brought in a number of loan signings from England. You're usually getting good quality there. It's just whether you can kind of integrate them into you know Premier Division football in Ireland as opposed to you know league football in England. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to know. I'm sure they're setting up that. It'll be a difficult season, but they're they're willing to compete and they're willing to fight and they're they're willing to battle. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they get on. Again, just mentioning preseason games, I, I don't think they will, and they probably shouldn't dwell on the result all that much. Um, couple of scrappy goals any other day, you clear those, and then the third one probably doesn't happen because that's a counter attacking goal where they're obviously probably trying to push forward and get a goal. So, you know, on another day, kind of two or three kicks of the ball might end up being a nil all game, you know. So, I uh, didn't have the luxury of seeing everything that happened in the game or the whole, you know, video of the game. So, maybe, maybe Cork are well on top, I'm not too sure. But, um, like I said, from Waterford's point of view, they'll, they'll view it as minutes in the legs rather than kind of dwelling on the result. The opener came from Dylan McGlade, someone you're very familiar with at Longford back in, I think, 17 and 18. He was in, in that side with you. Um, your thoughts on him as a player? Because a good bit of fortune involved in that lockdown kind of fell to him. Loves the keeper from, from close range. But uh, he's always had that kind of potential to open a game up at will when he wants to. Yeah, he's got great ability, Dylan. And, um, you know, the goal you're seeing him score there is probably not one that you associate with him where he, he kind of, you battled to keep it alive, battled to get a shot off, and then and then continued and nicked it in again. So, if he can add that to his game, uh, all the better. But um, you know, he he always chips in with goals and assists, and he's always a dangerous player. I think some managers have found it maybe difficult to find a place in a team for him. Or, you know, or if a team's struggling, do you get a huge amount of uh, work from him coming backwards or, or or within the shape of your team? 
maybe not, but he's always a threat for goals. He's always a threat for assists. And uh, he has that little Jack Grealish style, doesn't he, with the hair and the sheen guards and that. So um, from his own point of view, like I think he, uh, he you know, he, he's got great ability and he influences the game going forward. So um, Colin maybe can get um, more out of him kind of as a whole 90 minute player rather than just just a moments player. But um He's definitely someone that can that can help them in that division. You know, if he gets goals and assists, they and could be flying. You know, you've had the the luxury, I suppose, probably one of the few squads in the country that played against every team who are playing in the League of Ireland first division this year. You played against last season. You played Cork in the. You played all the teams obviously in the division bar Treaty, mm-hmm. uh, who nobody played against. And you played Cork in the cup, and then you played Shells in that playoff final. What's your own thoughts on the first division? There's been a couple of big name signings. Galway have been good in the tra- in the transfer market and the recruitment. So have Shells. So have Galway. At loan, a bit of a surprise packet. Probably as Adrian Carberry told us last week, not quite there yet, but they will be probably higher than the bottom two where they've been for the last couple of seasons. How do you see the first division shaping up? Yeah, it's going to be hugely competitive, and I think um any time I was interviewed over the last couple of years, you know, in my capacity with Longford, I always said. All the games are difficult. It's uh, you know competitive division, and it's definitely going to be that way again. You know, um, a lot of teams have brought in good players. Several teams have brought in Premier Division players. Several teams have recruited you know really really well. You mentioned that loan. Um, Bray were very very good last season, and I think they quite quietly have brought in some good players there too. And not no one's really talking about them. Um, Shells, you know that's pretty much a Premier Division team isn't it the setup, the structure the budget they have the squad uh, they'll be looking to come straight back up um, Cork got a lot of young players in again probably building something there with Colin he might feel they're they're not quite there for this year but the beauty of the First Division now is there's so many playoff places and we've seen you know right up to last year when Galway went on the run and, and pin, pinched the last uh, spot like you know that way that everyone's involved, you know, right up to the death. And and even if you think, you know, you're a team on the periphery of that, you, you still have a, a chance probably right up to right up to the, the last round of games of getting into those playoff places, as opposed to a couple of years back where there was one one team went up for win the league and, you know, the season could be over in June and everyone could kind of say, well, we're eight or ten points behind now. We're, we're never going to get up. So I think it keeps a competitive um, balance within the league for the entirety of the season. And um, a team we haven't mentioned as well is UCD because I think the last time they were in the league or, or the last time, sorry, that we were competing with them when they when they won the league, we probably overlooked them as being title winners and they ended up winning the league. So you just never know what you're getting with UCD because they always have a good crop of young players. Now we're going to turn our attentions to the northwest of the country and up to the showgrounds to Sligo Rovers where I'm joined by their assistant manager, John Russell. John, you're very welcome to the programme. Are you breathing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be on and best of luck with the, the new show. Thank you very, very much. We did feature, obviously, Slagger Rovers in the show last week with Oshin Moore, which gave a, a huge insight into the history of the club. Now, I suppose you're well part of that history of the club over the last decade or so as well. You've had a couple of spells as a player. Now you're in a management, management role in the dugout, but also uh, you're still registered as a player. We've seen a couple of cameos from you as well. Are those days... Uh, Firmly in the past, or can we expect to see you lining out this year? Um, yeah, I think it might be registered again this year with European football. Breffney, you know, they might have to roll me out um, for the away leg. So, yeah, keep keep the options open. But no, I'm firmly on the coaching uh, side of things now at the moment. So that's, that's my main focus. 
we might come back to that later in the chat but talk a bit talk to me a little bit about pre-season because it's been a, a fairly stunted period because of covid how has that affected the i suppose the build up to the season for the club yeah i think first and foremost we're delighted to be back playing and training um so from a preparation point of view you know it's great all the lads are back in we've had our issues obviously with the foreign players getting in and having to quarantine and stuff so that's been a bit of a disruption and uh, we haven't had everyone in from day one um but we're four weeks into pre-season we're happy enough where we are at the moment and uh, the games have gone quite well they've been being competitive and um, it's about gelling in the new players uh, i think the recruitment's been quite good and we're we're looking forward to kicking off next week I suppose last season, you mentioned recruitment last season, the recruitment from the outside looking in was probably one of the poorest in the league. And yet you went on to to produce some fantastic performances and secure European football with that last gasp uh, at stretch for fourth place in the last round of games. This year, as you mentioned, recruitment looks better from the outside as well as from within. Uh, is there a bit more pressure on you and Liam as a management team to deliver the same, if not better, results this year based on that extra kind of bonus in terms of recruitment? Uh, I think there's always pressure for Ephony. You know, um, Liam's a very experienced manager. He's he's managed numerous clubs in, in Ireland and has had massive success winning trophies and playing in Europe. So for us last year, it was brilliant to finish the season in the European spot, you know, to come from bottom of the table after four games, zero points, um, and to turn it around with the squad of players we had with a tremendous achievement. Um, and I know some people, you know, would look at recruitment and look at players' names. And obviously, Sligo has a history of going for players abroad. I think that's probably to do with getting value for money. Um, you always have to pay that premium if you're getting players on the East Coast. And um, it takes time for players to settle in. I think that was a, a bit of a, an issue for us at the start of the season. Outside of the injuries, we were very unfortunate. But takes time for new players to come in and acclimatise uh, to a new league and, and living in accommodation and getting to know the players. So that it, it does take time. I think we finished the season strongly and, and thankfully now we're coming into the new season, looking forward to European football and, um, you know, the players that we've signed, probably signed a couple of experienced players that know the league, which when you reflect on last year, we probably players that, that didn't know the league. So hopefully that will be um, a big bonus now. A couple of new names in there from the East Coast that you mentioned, where Greg Bolger, probably the pick in terms of where he's come from, is his reputation coming from Shamrock Rovers, league champions, of course. He played a relatively minor role in that, maybe played a half of the games throughout the year, wasn't ever present. Um, how much, I suppose, does he bring to that midfield in terms of experience? Because he'll sit in there beside maybe David Cawley, Niall Moore, and, and one or two other names that pop in. Um, how much of an addition is he to this, the squad? Yeah, he's a massive player. Um, I'm fortunate to play with Greg for two seasons at St. Pat's. So I know all about his qualities and his leadership skills. And you just mentioned there, you know, he, he's been around. He's, he's won things um, at all the clubs he's been at. So he brings that bit of experience. We probably were lacking the last season or two. You know, in Sligo, we've been promoting a lot of the youth players and they come through the academy and, and they're very good prospects, but they're still learning their game. So to have someone of, of Greg's calibre and experience to come in and, and make the demands of the players around him and, and push things on and he's, he's vocal, um, I think he'll be a big addition. And you can see it already in pre-season. He's, he's onto the players, he's, he's motiv motivating them, he's driving them on and he's, he's onto the referees. <laughs> so I think we're, we're delighted to have him. Um, and I think getting European football obviously helped with, with us recruiting Greg. 
yeah, obviously it's a huge attraction to any player with that kind of carrot of uh, playing a round or two in Europe is, is just nice to have on the CV when you retire, especially when you get to, I suppose, at your age of, or Greg's stage of their career in terms of maybe just adding an extra season of European football onto that. In terms of, I suppose, the positions that we're likely to see, there seems to be a real talent pool there in centre midfield, uh, the likes of Robbie McCourt, the likes of uh, the, the three that we've mentioned already, and um, also you brought in... Uh, Gary Buckley, I suppose, didn't play an awful lot last year because of injury. He's back in the squad this year. So you have five or six players vying for those centre midfield roles. Some of them will end up playing at centre back. Is the, the, I suppose, the abundance of talent in the middle of the park caused a bit of a problem or a deficit at the centre back position? Because you seem to kind of be stopgap there a little bit. Um, not at all. I think the the recruitment again. We've looked at players that. Number one, of have a, an ambition and uh, a mentality that they want to keep winning and, and they're motivated to win and come to Sligo and, and do well and see the club push on. So, you know, a lot of the players you brought in have won things in the past and are also versatile, so they can play in a number of positions. And I mentioned Robbie McCourt there, Gary Buckley, like Robbie can play centre-back. That's what he played last year for, for Waterford. He can play left-back. He's played centre-mid for, for Bohemians. Um, Gary Buckley the same, he, he midfielder by trade for Cork, but he actually started his career as a centre back and he and he played um, in that position for us towards the end of the season. And John Mann formed a really good partnership together. So, you know, from a centre back partnership, there's not a lot better than the two of those lads, in my opinion. Um, and then you add in like Shane Blaney, who's who's come in from uh, Doncaster, and again, another guy who's uh, young, hungry to, to prove himself and, and play in a, in a league. That's as competitive as the Irish League, and hopefully he'll he'll be a big addition this year. So no, delighted with where we are at the moment, and having that versatility, I think it's it's a good thing, especially when you have a, a tight squad. You know, you're you're trying to maximise your budget, and if you can sign players who can cover a number of positions, well then um, you're in a good position or a good position yourself. Yeah, and of course in goals, Ed McGinty, number one last year, ever present, played every minute of every game in the league. He's he probably had a bit of a stinker last week by his own admission. I think he'd be disappointed maybe definitely with the first goal that Lone scored. Uh, but he has been so solid last year and a vital cog in that push to fourth place. Uh, Richard Brush has come in this year. You've let Luke McNicholas out alone for six months. What's the rationale behind that decision? Yeah, I think Luke, in fairness, he's been patient the last year or two. Um working alongside Ed and the two guys see them day-to-day in training, two top-class keepers. And just unfortunate for Luke that Ed's played so well and he's just kept him all the team. He's had limited opportunities. So at the end of the season, he was very keen that um, when he did sign his, his new contract, the club were keen to extend it because we do have high hopes for Luke. Um, but he wanted the game time and he wanted to try and get a loan move. So we were able to facilitate that. And He's on Harps for half the season initially, and to, we can review that then. But um, obviously, we needed to bring in someone else then to compete with Ed for the number one jersey. And, and Richard Brush, he's he's well known in the league and well known to Sligo fans. I think it's his fourth fourth time in the club, and you know I know I know Brushy well. I played with him um, on two occasions as well, and he's a top keeper uh, and a great lad as well. And it, uh, he also brings that kind of experience to the dressing room. Um, you know, I've mentioned already we've we've a young squad, so. His his work ethic, um, you know, his energy and enthusiasm around the place. He's, he's a great character. So I think he brings an awful lot, not just on the pitch but off the pitch. So we're we're delighted with his um, his signing. On a personal note, I suppose this is your third season now as assistant manager in Sligo. You've been there, well, I think, two periods as a player before that as well. Um, 
your day job had been up to that point with the FAI as a local development officer, regional development officer in Sligo. You're based in the showgrounds. So it's a club you know really, really well. What's the mood like around the place at the moment? Is everyone buzzing at the qualification for Europe? Is the fact that they might not get to travel a bit of a dampener on that? Uh, everyone's buzzing at the moment, yeah. I mean, the end of last year, to, as I said, to go from where we were at the end of the, the first four games to where we finished, um, it was tremendous. But everyone, you know, the whole club rallied around during the summer. You saw the the, the funds that the fans raised um, to keep the club going during the, the COVID period. And, um, you know, to have European football to look forward now in 2021 and you know, the possibility of fans coming back into the grounds, hopefully in the next few months, you know, you're you're hoping that the whole league, not just like Rovers in the showgrounds, the whole league will get a bump in attendance and be really buzz about the place. And, um, you know, we're really looking forward to that. And from a training point of view, it, it's difficult at the moment going through the protocols, you know, the lads come in, train, they're, they go straight home, there's no hanging around. Uh, that that can be a bit difficult because you, you want to build up that camaraderie and especially when you have new signings, integrating them in. But everyone's excited about what's to come, and you know we're we're really looking forward to that first game against Dundalk. We close fans there, but um, it's not to be at the moment. But we're we're excited for the the season to kick off. Yeah, it's going to be a real League of Nations clash between Dundalk's foreign signings over this preseason, and uh, and your own. Uh, Romeo Park's been back. That's a huge boost. The pace he brings to that forward line for Sligo is just, I think it's faster than anything we've ever seen in the league before. He's just breathtakingly quick. Uh, the goal against Bohemians two seasons ago springs to mind in terms of he won it on the edge of his own box and then he finished it nearly, he got there before the ball did. What does having someone of that speed just bring in terms of even just the scare factor for defenders in the league? Yeah, Bromley is a top player um, and everyone got to see that in 2019. He's um, he's probably the quickest player in the league and you know, not only is he quick, but he's a, he's a great finisher and he finished with double figures that season. So we're hoping that uh, Romeo can produce the goods this year and I think he's very motivated. You know, we, we would have liked to have kept him last season, but he had to stay in the States because he was working on his um, his green card. And thankfully he has that now. He's back in Sligo. Um, he brings great experience. Romeo's played in a number of positions as well. So he's a real top threat. And I think... You know, having him back in, he knows the league, he knows Sligo, there's no kind of bedding in from um, where you get that with new players. And we're hoping that he'll hit the ground running. And as you said there, he does put a bit of fear into the opposition with, with his pace. Um, so we're hoping that uh, we can supply the, the chances for him. I suppose on a personal note as well, I know you're you're currently doing your pro license. So it's it's a step up in terms of the the experience, the education, the, the I suppose the requirements of, of being involved in the game at this level. Is the ambition to go on and use that and become a, a first team manager in your in your own right? Is that a, a step that you see yourself taking in the future? Maybe at Sligo, when and if Liam ever moves on or or at another club? Like what's your own ambitions? Yeah, I mean, since I was in my mid-20s, I've always had a, a real hunger and, and thirst for knowledge and, and watching the coaching and um, the different managers I played under. And I always saw myself um, going into coaching and management when I finished playing. And I suppose I've been working towards that over the last number of years. Uh, working as a development officer was a, was a big help. You know, got to work with all the, the underage players and um, continue my education with doing the UEFA B, the A licence, the UEFA Elite A youth licence. And now I'm, I'm on the Pro license. I'm, Hope to finish that. It'll be May 2022. 
Um, so I'm enjoying the course so far. We're we're nearly halfway through. Um, it's it's strange if going through all these zooms at the moment. Um, we're hoping to meet up face to face soon, because um, that's where you you really get the learning. You know that peer to peer. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. But definitely, yeah, I, I see myself going into management. Um, you know, I'm on a on a journey at the moment, and I'm I'm loving it. I love coaching, love being out on the pitch with the players and working with them, trying to improve them and improve the team. And um, you know, every day you're learning. And you know, with the pro license at the moment, I'm trying to get as much out of it as I can. In terms of the actual experience of being on that course, because um, who who's on the course with you? Because I know when I did my B license, Jerry Carr, who's a former a holder of that position you're in at the moment the assistant manager job in Sligo uh, he was on my B license course up in the north and the interaction with those other participants was a huge part of that are you getting that and kind of who who on the course has kind of gone oh I'm on a course with such and such has that been a, a thing for you at all yet um yeah there's I mean there's coaches from from the UK from different countries um the majority of the guys will be from league of ireland so a lot of the managers that are in the first division are in the premier division um so from a getting together and meeting up you know there'll be a lot of familiar faces um the international coaches you've got high caliber the likes of john o'shea who's working with reading at the moment carlo Cudicini, ex-chelsea um goalkeeper he's in with us um, it's international Andy Kyo. Uh, I think he's still currently playing over in um, Australia with Perk Glory. Uh, so there's a number of of top class candidates. So as I said, looking forward to us all getting together and actually meeting face to face, um, because that's where the, the real learning can take place, uh, not just in the classroom, but over a cup of coffee or um, in those evenings in your downtime around the hotel. So um, yeah, hopefully things settle down with the restrictions and we can uh, all meet up. Absolutely, you know, for me, when I was involved in that at a much lower level, albeit uh, it was the peer to peer learning was nearly as important as what you actually picked up in the actual sessions themselves. Uh, moving forward, I suppose um, you're with Sligo for the season, at least. Uh, what's the situation with the, with the day job? Um, the FAI has been through the news in the last year or so. I know, well, I believe that the um, to take up your role, you've got to take a career break from the FAI. Is that still an ongoing situation uh, as you go three years on? or is, What's the, the role with that? Yeah, I'm currently on a career break from the FAI and, and they were very accommodating to me, um, which is great to, to allow me to pursue the assistant manager role with Sligo. I felt it was something that I wanted to put my whole um, energy and put everything behind it because, you know, you, there are certain coaches that try and double job and you know the way the league is i think especially in the first division there's it's part-time but in the premier division if you want to compete and, and try and break into europe and, and push the club on and off the pitch you know you need full-time staff so that, that was really keen that when the opportunity came to go into sligo that i didn't want to double job and um, so thankfully i've been able to work full-time the last two years and i'm, I'm really enjoying it and hopefully it can continue uh, this season and into the next I suppose with the um the ambition of playing in Europe this season, Shamrock Rovers played AC Milan last year. There's a couple of other uh, glitz and glamour friendlies over the, or not friendlies, but European UEFA Champions League or, or or Europa League games over the last couple of seasons. Uh, there's a slight tweak in the format this year. You're in the Europa Conference, so it means you have to get through a couple of rounds to play the real glamour games. But is there anybody that you'd like to get back to the showgrounds this year? Is there a, another mole or another one of those kind of um, nights that you'd like to have in the showgrounds through the summer? Um, I mean, we're just delighted to have European football back. We're not really looking about who, who we want to get or who we want to draw. Um, 
you know, it's great that we'll have an opportunity to possibly get through a tie and the way they've formatted it now. Um, but I mean, we've had some great, great occasions in the past. I think the last time we were in Europe, I was fortunate to be a player at the time and we we beat FK Banga from Lithuania in the first round. And then in the second round, we drew Rosenberg um, and we beat them away to one. The manager got sacked and then we were favourites supposed to go through in the second leg. But we we, we went 1-0 up and then we ended up losing 3-1. So we kind of blew it that night. Um, so that was a brilliant occasion. Packed house in the showgrounds as a player in the league. You really cherish those European nights, you know, traveling to the away stadiums. You know, you feel like a, a real superstar, I suppose. You know, you look at players in England playing Championship, League One, League Two, they don't get to experience that, the joy of playing in Europe and coming up against high caliber opposition. So that's one of the perks, I think, of the League of Ireland players getting get to play in Europe. And you see the last couple of seasons, the, the success that they've had. Um, you know, I always believe the product is there in the league. There's there's some really top class talent, and when you see them in proper stadiums playing in Europe, uh, competing against high class opposition, you know they always hold their own, and um, hopefully we can showcase that now this year. Yeah, here, here, and of course, the very best luck to you, your teammates, to yourself and Liam uh, through the season ahead, and I'm sure we'll uh, cross paths at some point in the showgrounds at some stage this season. Fingers crossed, John. Thank you very much for joining me, and the best luck. Thanks, Brethany. Yeah, all the best. This year. In terms of other games that took place, we've highlights from one other game that took place over the weekend, and that was the meeting of Cove Ramblers, court rivals now down in the Rebel County. Uh, Cove Ramblers, and they took on uh, a St. Pat's side, and uh, it ended up 4-0 to pass. But let's take a quick look at the at the game. Okay, we're looking at the first goal here. Lovely little slide ball outside, and Shane Griffin drills it across goal for for one nil for Pat's a nice little bit of interchange there, and and as you can see, a great finish uh, drilled across the goalkeeper for one nil. Uh, second goal, you know, ball into the box a little bit, scrambled away, um, falls. Matty Smith lays it off, and that's Jay McClelland drilling it into the corner there. So two good left footed finishes for St Pat's to give them two nil lead um, in the first half of the game. Then we're looking at third goal. Again, a little bit scrappy within the penalty area, but lovely composure for, for Billy King. And he just slots it through Corey's legs there for 3 0. And uh, Pat's obviously well on top and comfortable in the game. And then the, the four goals of penalty in the second half and nicely dispatched there by Chris Forrester for 4 0. Yeah, so Pat's will be happy with that one out. Four goals in a game, regardless of the opposition, is always nice to kind of have it. But I think the first two goals in particular. There's some strikes from Griffin and McClelland. Yeah, um, really good strikes, like clean and true striking of the ball. Um, Shane Griffin's obviously excellent from from out that angle to drill it across there. And he needs a huge amount of accuracy. And then Jay McClelland gets a, a nice little set, you know, perfect uh, weight on the on the pass, and he can just drill into the corner there as well. So two really good finishes, two two nice strikes. We're actually seeing quite a few uh, well taken goals uh, over the weekend. So uh, they were two two of the better ones. We talked about a number of players who've left Waterford this season, and Matty Smith is one of them involved in both of those goals. He's going to be a bit of a find. He, he impressed me last year on the wing for Waterford, and I think with players like that coming into Pats, can Pats challenge this year? Where do you expect Pats kind of to, to finish? Can they push on to, to challenge Dundalk or Bowes or, or for those European spots? Is that a realistic target? 
yeah, I think it would be the target for for Stevie and and the lads there, you know. But um, we see in the the back end of last season, like from the playoff spot right up to in behind Dundalk, you know, there was only a couple of points in between or a couple of, you know, a win here and there in between. So I think that group will probably still be that group, you know, a tight tight knit group, and it's whoever can step out of that, maybe get a little bit more consistency, maybe find a little bit more of a regular goal scorer. It's usually the difference between kind of the the top positions in the league table. So if Pats can find that regular kind of consistency, um I think they can definitely challenge and, and you just you just never know in the League of Ireland whether a team can stitch it all together. Um I'd say most clubs, most teams, most managers feel they're happy enough with their squads and feel they've got good quality and it's just whether it all shakes out and they can they can put it all together on a weekly basis. Um but yeah I'm sure Stevie and and the you know, the the lads there are aiming for a European position or, or potentially higher if they can if they can string everything together. I think uh, it's fair to say, and I don't want to put much pressure on you, but it's fair to say that most pundits have Longford down as their favourites to be relegated at the end of the season. We talked about the budget issues. We talked about the fact that it's more or less the same squad as last year with maybe a couple of additions, but maybe not as many as Dara would have liked. Um, realistically, can they stay up? And if so. Who are the two or three clubs that you're really targeting to finish ahead of this season, or has that even come into the discussion within the club? Yeah, I don't think like I don't think we we can target anybody else. I mean, it's up to our up to ourselves. I think we're pretty confident that we've got you know a good group. Pretty confident we've got um, good depth within the squad, and we're just eager to to compete and show that we belong at this level. Like we we my philosophy since I've started playing football is to try and win every game and I know people might snigger or laugh and say yeah, you aren't going to beat some of the top teams or whatever but there's many ways to skin a cat as they say so we're going to try through whatever our, our game plan is uh, each week to go and win games and you know it's quite simple as that you know you don't play the game to get draws you don't play the game to lose you play the game to win so our objective is to you know attempt to win as many games as we can Um where that leaves us at the end of the season, we'll see. But um, yeah, we we believe in ourselves and we believe in what we're we're doing. So um, it's up to us to prove that. Like you know, we can't we can't talk about finishing high up the league or beating anyone else or finishing ahead of anyone else. We're just talking, or you know, we're doing the work and we have to show it on the pitch. I suppose there is also the reality that in the last couple of years, Sligo, Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk have all been turned over by Longford in cup games at various levels in the FA Cup, the League Cup over the years. So um, there are definitely opportunities there to surprise a few teams and, and maybe make a claim to, to stay in that division for next season. Uh, Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you a uh, company on. Looking forward to having you on the show uh, as the season progresses as well. Um, the very best of luck to you in the rest of pre-season and when the season kicks off in well, it's only like 10 days now uh it's kind of creeping up on you uh, you must be kind of excited now to be back in the in the premier division and back kind of playing games at that level yeah absolutely and like you said uh the excitement is building now for for the main the main event the first game of the season like i think as you get a little bit older uh, like myself pre-season just has less and less emphasis you just want to get into the to the real games like you know and you're just kind of taking over, getting the minutes in the legs and, and being ready to go. So, yeah, the excitement's definitely building for that and, and we're looking forward to it. Good, and hopefully we all get to go, go to a few games and cheer you on later in the year. Thanks very much. and We'll have you on again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me.